mountains are still being moved. Hello, and welcome to Raising the Standard with Pastor Owen Moody of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. You're invited to join us each Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an anointed full-length message from Pastor Moody. After the message, we'll be back to let you know how you can contact us. On this podcast, Pastor Moody brings us a message entitled, You Can Make a Difference. His scripture text will be taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 32 through 34. Here now, Pastor Moody. Of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, David, also in Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, Escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, and turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And turned to flight the armies of the aliens. I want you to notice tonight, as I said, of course there's great names in this list that I just read, Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, uh, I want to just really sort of single one out tonight, though, and that's Gideon. And I was, this thought came to me as he was enumerating the great heroes of the faith, told some of their stories. By faith, Moses chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin by, for a season. By faith, Abraham moved when God spoke to him, leave his kinsmen and went into a place he'd not been before. But then he said, time would fail me, amen, to tell you of some of these others. And he starts naming them. And, but yet, when you read on down, it said, through faith they subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promise, stopped lion's mouths, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong. Now, I want to preach tonight for a few minutes on the thought, you can make a difference. You can. Turn on your neighbor and say, you can. Even if you might feel like you're the least among us, even though you might feel weak, I mean, as the Bible said, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So God began to deal with me just a little bit about this thought, you can make a difference. Amen. I want you to get a hold of that tonight. I want you to walk out of here saying, bless God, we can do something. Amen. Say that with me. We can do something for God. We can upset the devil's apple cart. Amen. We can, we can stop his plans. Amen. You can make it. Don't never let the devil tell you again you can't do something. Are you hearing me? When, when God spoke to Moses and he threw down that rod and grabbed it by the tail and it turned, back, you know, turned into a serpent and he grabbed it by the tail, turned back into a stake and put his hand in his coat and pulled it out and he had leprosy and put it back in, pulled it out and it was clean. Moses looked at him and said, well, I, I can't talk very well. You need to quit saying I can't when God says you can't. Amen. You know, God actually got a little angry with Moses. Read that. It says God's anger kindled against him. He said, all right, I'm going to let you have all the glory, but I'll just go ahead and send Aaron with you. Huh? And I, I want to tell you, 
Amen. Even even Barak, he 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 lost some of his thunder to to Deborah because he wouldn't go on his own. Are you with me? But I want to preach tonight about Gideon, and I want to tell you, you can make a difference. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. Just have your way. Anoint us tonight. Let us preach like a man from another world. Give me uh, clarity of thought and speech and open to me doors of utterance and speak through me. Dear Lord, as you speak to me, and I'll give you praise. Touch somebody's life tonight and let them know we don't have to settle for the devil's mess. We can be champions for God. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, hallelujah. Praise God. You can make a difference. I had this thought, when we're gone, will it really matter? Will it make a difference in the kingdom of God when we're gone? The psalmist said, precious, costly is what that word means. In the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That literally means it costs the kingdom of God to lose one of us. When God loses one, how many knows another place the scripture said you can't do any business from the grave? I mean, what you're going to do for God, you better do it before they put you in the box. Hello, before they throw dirt over you. You can't do anything after you're gone. But I begin to think, will it matter when we're gone? Will this church suffer a loss? And then I thought, will it matter to the devil when we're gone? I wonder if the devil will, you know, breathe a sigh of relief when we get out of the way, when we're gone. I know we make a difference. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, he said the rapture can't even happen, amen, uh, or the Antichrist can't be revealed till the rapture happens. Because he said only now he who will let, will let until he's taken out of the way. We're the hinderer, somebody say hinderer, of lawlessness. We're preventing the Antichrist from taking the world over. We're preventing Satan from having total and complete control because we are the salt in his wound. Can you say amen? We're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. But then when, that, when we're taken out of the way, Paul went on to say, then will that wicked one, that son of perdition, that, amen, that opposes everything that's holy, the Antichrist, he will be revealed. So how many is ready for the rapture tonight? Amen. So I want to say this and, and ask this. Can we now be used in the cause? How many knows there's a cause? David told his brothers, is there not a cause? There's a cause today that we should stand for. It's the cause of Christ. It's the cause of appropriating the gospel. Can I say it? It's the cause of revival. Heaven knows we need revival. We'll now not revive us, O oh Lord. We need to be part of the cause of revival. Most people think real revival is out of the question. They think it's a historic occurrence. When you mention Azusa Street, a Pentecostal meeting that started on a front porch and moved into an old store building, an old stable, that went around the world in a few short years and brought the Pentecostal renewal back into the church world. Happened in the early 1900s. was started by an old black Nazarene preacher by the name of Brother Seymour out there in California. And you thought that there wasn't nothing much good could come out of California. Can you say amen? But God started a revival. Most people think real revival is out of the question. But can I tell you when I look at the world and see the the drug revolution and the gay revolution and the, the purveyance of, 
of, uh, of the, the perversion that's in our society. When I see and understand the idea that the traditional family is constantly being battered and assaulted by the devil, and even by media and by the government in a lot of cases, traditional values are under assault. We're living in a world that's in a free fall morally. They're sinning without, without shame and without regret. I don't want to always seem like I'm preaching on that, but it seems like it's overtaken our society. And I begin to think in a, in a situation like this, there's never been a more opportune time to be involved in the preaching of the gospel. It's like the man that was a shoe salesman. I heard this story. They sent this guy to an island country to represent their shoe company. And when he got there, he spent a few days, he traveled around the island Really perplexed. This was back in the days, you know, before modern communication devices. He sent a wire back to the home office and said, Quick, send me a ticket home. Nobody over here even wears shoes. There's no need for me to be here. And so they brought him home, and another fellow volunteered to go that was a salesman. When he got there, he walked around the island. He noticed that nobody had shoes. He sent another wire, said, Quick, Send me a great supply, the best market I've ever seen. Nobody over here's got shoes. Can you say amen? And it's how you look at it. I hear people decrying the situation of America. Can I tell you that if it's true that drugs is a problem, and I believe it is, if it's true that pornography is a problem, and I believe it is, if, it, if, it true, if it's true that moral decay and the collapse of the family is a problem in America, and I believe it is, then I believe there's a great opportunity to preach the gospel. Will you say amen, somebody? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Doesn't really matter that people are opposed to it. They can't stop it. Will you say Amen. I want to say that again. It doesn't really matter that people are opposed to the gospel. They cannot stop it. Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. And then he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And then he said, and I'm with you, hallelujah, even to the end of the world. You know why people are not getting saved? It's because somebody's not taking the gospel to them. You know why there's not revival? It's because somebody is failing to go out with a message and an anointing and a burden and reach somebody, amen, that's going to hell. Give God praise if you believe that. <laughs> Glory. Now, I told you I wanted to just sort of look at Gideon. I want to tell you, the most extraordinary thing about Gideon was simply that he was so ordinary. He wasn't a superstar. He wasn't Samson, you know, that could jerk the jawbone out of a living donkey and kill a thousand people with it. Or catch a bunch of foxes and tie their tails together and burn the, their fields down. Can you say amen? He, he wasn't even a David that could play a harp and drive out devils. Take a sling and kill a giant. With his bare hands kill a bear or a lion. He, he wasn't any of those people. He wasn't a Daniel that could spend the night in the lion's den. Or, or three Hebrew boys that could go on a fiery furnace. 
but he was a farmer. And, and the Midianites, the scripture said, had invaded the land. I, I read this story again today. I just read through uh, in Judges the story of Gideon. And it said because of Israel's sin that uh, God had allowed the, the Midianites to invade the land. You know how bad things had got? It got so bad that, that the Israelites had made dens and holes in the earth to hide like a bunch of scared squirrels or something. Can you say amen? And the Bible said that every time they would sow, every time they would plant a crop, when it got time for the harvest, the Midianites would come up on the land. So many they were without number. They'd come and bring their camels. They'd come and bring their donkeys, bring their sheep. They'd bring everything, and they'd devour the crops of the Israelites. And they would steal all their money. And they'd take everything that they had. And the Bible said the Israelites were in a terrible strait. And, you know, it was because they'd failed God. And so uh, old Gideon was a farmer, and he'd, he'd raised some wheat somehow. They, they'd missed his. And he was down by the threshing floor, and he was secretly hiding and threshing wheat. In other words, getting the grain and separating the chaff and trying to have a harvest, trying to do something to provide for his family. And he's down there hiding, the Bible said, like a coward. And all of a sudden, God sends an angel to him. And the angel comes to him and says, Hail, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon speaks up and says, if I'm a man of valor, then why is it that God has allowed amen, the Midianites to overrun the land and were starving and everything's like it is. But the whole point was, it was God's time. He was God's man. He was in the right place. And so God had a mission and God had a purpose. And I want to tell you, if God can use a farmer, amen, hiding, trying to thrash wheat, God can use you. Hallelujah. Give him praise if you would. I want to go and stand before God with something more than an excuse. Oh, hallelujah. Woo, hey. I don't want to just stand there with some pitiful little reason why I didn't. But if I go beat up, scarred, if I go in maimed and halt, if I go in wounded, I don't, I don't really much care as long as I can stand before God and hear him say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Woo. Go ahead and give God praise. I'm just going to preach about six or eight little points here tonight. Normally I'm a three-pointer, but I'm growing. I might be a nine-pointer tonight. I don't know. I'm messing with you. Point number one, God can use common people. Turn around and tell somebody. God ain't looking for special people. He's just looking for available people. God can use common people. The Bible said in Judges. Let's go back there to Judges chapter 6, if you would. Uh, in Judges chapter 6, the Scripture said that the Lord spoke to him. After I, what had happened that I just explained to you about the angel coming. In verse 14, it said, the Lord looked upon him. 
and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? Verse 15, he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Listen, God said, You're going to do it. You're going in this thy might. I, I really believe God touched him and he felt something he never felt before. How many of you all have ever felt something in the presence of God you never thought you'd feel? Woo, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you something about this anointing. It's more than something to make you jerk and shout. Hallelujah. In Acts 1 and 8, the Bible said you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, not just to jerk and shout and speak in tongues, but you'll be my witnesses, says the Lord. <laughs> Glory. So he says, I want you to, amen, go on this, your might, and, and you're going to save Israel. And he said, how am I going to save them? Listen, my family's poor. Anybody, anybody in here ever been poor? Anybody in here still poor? <laughs> amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, that doesn't disqualify you. Man, I'm, I'm about to have me a spell, and y'all just looking at me like a calf looking at a new gate. I, I want to tell you, that does not disqualify you being poor. You might say, I don't have resources. God does. You might say, I don't have ability. God does. You might say, I don't have no talent. Get ready. You're about to get some, honey. Praise God. And, and so he, he said, I'm a poor, and, uh, my family's poor in Manasseh. Not only that, I'm the least in my father's house. I'm the smallest. I'm the poorest. I'm the less. I'm the least significant. And the Lord said unto him, surely. Somebody say, surely. You need to get a hold of us surely every now and then. You need to understand that when God sends you, God goes with you. You need to know when God calls you, God anoints you. You need to go when God steps you up, he's going to step up with you. And God said, surely I'll be with you. Hallelujah. Woo. As in a meeting with Dr. Mark Rutland one time, I love to hear that guy preach. He, he's now the, the president of Oral Roberts University. And when I heard him, he was president of a Bible college down in Florida. <clears throat> he did a, a WME meeting that I went to, and I, I just loved the guy. And he was preaching, and he told the story about going to school, and he said, he said I was a little runt. And he said, I had a brother, boy. He said, he, he was a big old buffed, you know, stout, rough outfit. And said, would fight a running saw. Said, he was mean, you know, as a junkyard dog. My brother was. And said, dad and mom had a hard time doing anything with him. Said, teachers in school had a hard time handling him. And he said, but I was just a little runt. And they said, but he said, I wanted to be tough, but I just didn't have what it took. And he said, there was a guy, a bully, got picking on, on Brother Mark, on Dr. Rutland. And he said, he got picking on him all the time. And he said, I'd come in, you know, and, and he'd, he'd hit me and slap me. Said, I'd come in teary-eyed. And he said, I said, my dad told me, said, son, said, now you need to go back to school. And said, you need to stand up to that guy. And he said, dad, you don't understand. Said, I'm scared of him. Said, he's a rough one. And, and he said, my brother, said, everybody in school was scared of my brother. And said, my brother got hold of it. And dad said, here's, his dad told him, said, here's what I want you to do. Said, I want you to be waiting on the school steps tomorrow when he gets there. Block his way so he can't get to the, to the school anymore and without getting past you. And said, so when he comes up, he said, you look at him. He said, here's what you say. Said, you tell him your bullying days are over and you're not going in this school till 
you make this right with me and said, you're not going to get past me because I am here today to put an end to this. And uh, he said he got over there, you know, and he's standing on the school step, standing down on the bottom step. He's waiting. He said, I'm sweating bullets. I'm scared to death. And said, here that guy comes. And said, he walks up. Mark says, wait a minute. I want to talk to you. And he said, I felt a little brave. And the old guy looked at him and said, yeah. He said, I want you to know, said, your bullying days are over. Said, you're not picking on me anymore. And said, if you do, said, I want you to know, said, I'm here today to put it into this. Said, so right now, you, you're going to settle this with me. This bullying's over with. Said, he said, Mark, said, you're, all, you're right, man. Said, I, I don't want no trouble. Said, I, he started bagging up. Mark said, more, I, oh, I got a feeling big then. And said, I told him, said, now, just, just remember it. Don't you, don't you try to think you're going to pick on me anymore. Said, he said, okay, Mark, whatever you say. And said, he turned, walked on and said, I felt real big. Till I turned around and said, three steps behind me stood my big brother. <laughs> yeah. You understand what I'm saying? When you go to the battle, God has said, I'll surely go with you. Hallelujah. I'll surely go with you. So God speaks to this scared little farmer. And in essence, what he's saying is you can make a difference. Say that with me. You can make a difference. Oh, my. Just say, I can make a difference. In the things of God. Well, so all of a sudden, God decides to use Gideon. Listen, look at verse 34 of, 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 uh, of Judges chapter 6. And it says there, when, it, when this starts to go down, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet. And Abiezer was gathered to him. And he sent messengers throughout Manasseh. And they all gathered into Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali. And to make a long story short, then Gideon fleeced the Lord. He said, Lord, if you're going with me, I'm going to lay a fleece upon the ground. And he said, I want the dew to fall on nothing but the fleece. I want the ground around it to be dry. I want a sign, God. And, and so that next morning he got up and, he, and the ground was dry, but he picked up the fleece and the Bible said he wrung a bowl full of water out of it. The dew of heaven fell on it. Then he said, all right, God, don't get angry with me, but I got to be sure you're with me. How many knows you need to make sure God is in what you're doing before you go off half-cocked, amen, and shoot yourself in the foot like Barney Fife, praise God. And so the next night, he laid his fleece out on the ground, and he said, God, here's what I want you to tonight. I want you to let the dew fall everywhere, but on, the, but on my fleece. So he fleeced God again. And the next morning, how many knows what happened? He got up, and the ground was wet with the dew. But he picked up the fleece, and it was dry. Amen. It's last year's bird's nest. Amen. So God showed him, amen, by signs that he was with him. And then all of a sudden, 32,000 people showed up. Amen. To stand by his side. How many shout yes now? Amen. I want to tell you, God can use, amen. Glory to God. Amen. Common people. God, listen, Saul Gideon, amen, for who he could be, not for who he was at that moment. I want you to understand that. You and God are a majority. You and God are the winning team. Woo, how many believe what I'm saying? I want to say it again. You and God are the winning team, praise God. When God's on your team or you're on God's team, that's the best way to say it. You'll touch your neighbor and say, you can't lose. Hallelujah. You can't lose. It's an impossibility. So God can use common people. 
In 1 Corinthians, Paul said it like this. 126, for you see, brethren, your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Amen. With David, it was the ruddiest boy, amen, in Jesse's house. Let me understand what I'm saying. It was a little old ruddy boy. Glory to God. And when, when Eli and his sons were, 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 were failing God so bad, it was a little boy named Samuel, amen, that was hanging out in the temple that God began to speak to. Do you see what I'm saying? God, it, it's usually not the big, strong, the flashy, the powerful, amen, uh, you know, that, that God uses, but it's the nobodies, the unheard ofs, the uncommons, glory to God. For God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God's chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things, which means the things that are they're not real desirable of the world. The things that are despised hath God chosen. Yea, things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. Can I say it? God wants to do extraordinary things, but He wants to do it through ordinary people. Hallelujah. Woo, glory to God. So, God can use common people. Number two, God uses courageous people. It'll take some courage to step out of your comfort zone and tell somebody about Jesus. Especially in this day and time. I like to tell our young people, it'll take some guts. Can I say something like that? To go to school and not compromise and fit in with that sorry crowd. Now, I don't want to upset nobody, but most people think their kids are little angels. And these schools full of them, they're little devils. Am I right, principal? Some, some of them are meaner than a junkyard dog and half as ornery. You hear what I'm saying? So God is looking for somebody with the courage to say no. Amen. I think it was Barbara Bush that said, just say no. Or Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan said, just say no to drugs. Can I say it? It takes somebody with some guts to just say no to drugs. Just say no to the drinking. Just say no to the premarital sex. Just say no to the dirty jokes. Can I go on and on? It'll take somebody with some guts to stand up and say, I belong to Jesus. Hallelujah. It'll take somebody with some backbone to stand up and say, I'm sorry, I can't come to your party. You play the wrong kind of music. You do the wrong kind of things. Woo, I'm, I'm preaching better than you're shouting, young people. I'm going to tell you, it'll take somebody. I mean, anybody can grow around with the crowd. Amen. But it takes somebody with some nerve to say no to what the world has to offer. So God's looking for courageous people. And God called Gideon, a man of valor, uh, courageous. And, and uh, when he said he gathered 32,000 together, notice what the first thing God said. Well, he said, now listen, everybody that's afraid, you send them home. God don't use cowards. I mean, we've often, you know, preached about that. You know, it's wonderful. God finally got down to use 300 to, that people would know was of God. But the first thing you need to know is that God called out the cowards. I'm going to tell you, it takes a real man to love Jesus. 
It takes, it takes a real man, a real woman. It takes a young person with some backbone to stand up in this God-hating, blaspheming, Jesus-cursing world and say, wait a minute, that's my Savior. It takes some courage to do that. I mean, anybody can laugh and, and uh, you know, the old-timers used to say, guff hall with the crowd. It takes somebody with some backbone to stand up. And say, it's for me and my house, we serve the Lord. I wouldn't dishonor my Jesus, can you say amen? So here's a young man, he got rid of the fearful. Do you know that, uh, that fear is contagious? You know, in Deuteronomy, God said this. He said, and you shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, you approach this day into the battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts be faint. In other words, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Then he says, fear not. Don't tremble. Don't be terrified before the enemy. Listen to verse 8. And the officers shall speak further to the people and shall say, What man is there that's fearful and faint-hearted? Don't let him go. Let him return to his house, lest his brother's heart faint as well as his heart. In other words, if you're a coward, you might cause the soldier beside of you to get scared. So God's looking for courageous people. I wonder if I got any courageous people in the house tonight. Y'all are getting quiet. Am I preaching all right? You see, 2 Timothy 1 and 7 said, For God has not given us the spirit of fear. Amen. How many glad God doesn't give you a spirit of fear? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. 1 John 4 and 18 said, Amen. There is no fear in love, in this love of God. Because perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has torment. Amen. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. I'm not. You've got to get to the place. And, I'm, and I've got to get to the place that we can stand boldly and say, I'm not afraid of the devil. I'm not afraid of the world. I'm not afraid of the government. I'm not afraid of people that don't want to hear about this Jesus. Jesus and want to resist it. I'm going to serve the Lord. Hallelujah. There's a lot of places in this world tonight where to name the name of Jesus puts your life in peril to say you're a Christian. And we've got to have courage. Can you say amen? Number three, we are to be cautious, not just courageous, but cautious. The Bible goes on and tells the story. Amen. After the, tw- after the 20,000 had left, uh, God said to Gideon, your people are yet too many. Bring them down by the water, and I'll try them there. Amen. For thee there, I'll, give them, I'll put them through another test. And it shall, it shall be, amen, that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with you, the same shall go. And whomsoever I say shall not go, they won't go. He brought the people down to the water, and he said, everyone that laps the water, amen, with his tongue as a dog would lap water, set him by himself. Like everyone that Likewise, everyone that bows on his knees and drinks with his hand. Here's what he's saying. I want you to be you know, courageous, courageous, but I want you to be cautious. And, and he was saying, you can't just use just anybody. I know I said he uses common people, but he don't use cowards, and he don't use the worldly crowd to do the work of God either. 
And the illustration was Jesus said, you don't cast your, you know, your, your pearls before the swine. And he said, a dog will return to the things of the world. And he said, so when they get down to drink, if they just lay down and lap water like a dog and they don't look around and they don't see the surroundings, you can't use them either. But everyone that gets down on his knee and watches for the enemy and drinks with his hand like this, that's what he was saying. People that are cautious, people that have got faith and yet they know to trust God and not trust the enemy at all. Too many people today are in league with the world and the things of the world, with the devil and with the things of ungodliness. We got too many people running around the church world today. Here I go again. Somebody help me. Trying to justify stuff that is ungodly. They're lapping water like a dog. They're not trying to, you know, possess their vessel with sanctification. So God's saying to Gideon, you still got too many. You talk about, he would have never made it as a recruiter for the military. Because he started out with 32,000 and ended up with 300. He didn't get no recruiting bonus for that. Do you hear me? So he said, not only do we need to be, understand that God uses common people. God uses courageous people. But we must allow ourselves to be cautious people. Paul said, uh, or Peter said in 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant. Watchful, your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. Listen, Jesus talking about the end times in Luke 21, 36 said, Watch ye therefore, pray always, that you may be counted worthy to escape all things that shall come to pass, and stand before the Son of Man. The apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, he said, I keep my body, amen, under my body. I, I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be come cast away. I'm going to tell you something. I've been doing this 35 years and I've seen men that had great anointings and women that had great anointings and people that were used of God and they lost that anointing and they lost their effectiveness and some of them dear God have maybe lost their own soul because they would not control the flesh and the appetites of it. They kept getting involved in junk they didn't need to get involved in. God's looking for somebody that's saying, I want to make a difference. I want to deliver people from the oppression of darkness. This ain't just about me, you know, being saved and filled and thrilled. It ain't about, it's just all right for me to preach this way. It ain't about me just getting, to, you know, to live in, in prosperity and uh, enjoy the fat of the land. And, and run around flexing my muscles saying, look how good God has blessed me. It's about me being a soul winner. Is this all right? It's about pulling. The Bible said save some, make a difference. But others, just like you're trying to pull them out of a fire. And I fear. I, I want to be careful what I say. I don't want to judge another man's servant. But I fear that a lot of the modern preaching has a tendency more to make Christians to just want to be concerned about 
me and mine and my needs and lose sight of the harvest that's dropping to the ground all around us. Don Brinkle said years ago, living out there in that wheat country, said it was harvest time. And he said he was driving down the road. He preached on a Sunday morning. And he was driving down that country road. He said, he told me, he said, Brother Owen, he said, where we grew up out there in Kansas, in the wheat field, that prairie land. He said, it might be five miles to the next house. Or two or three miles to the next house or whatever. And he said, you'd just drive down the little narrow dirt roads and said wheat fields as far as you could see. And he said, I'd preached in a church one Sunday, was leaving there, going to preach in another church on a Sunday afternoon. And he said, driving along, he said, I, I seen the wheat fields. And he said, I saw a man. And he said, back in these days, you never saw this, but he said, there was a man out there with a combine running in that field. And said, he was working on Sunday afternoon. And said, he'd come around close. Where's that? And he said, it was such an odd thing. He said, I stopped the old car I was driving. I got out and said, the old farmer rolled up there and stopped his machine and started talking to him. And he knew the man. He said, and there's a church going, man. He said, why is it that you're out here working on Sunday? And he pointed back to the west and he said, you see them big thunderheads rolling up out there? He said, there's a storm brewing on the horizon. And he said, this harvest is about to be lost. And he said, I had no other option but to stay here today and try to gather all I could gather because the thunderhead out there is rolling up and it won't be long when these storms roll in, they beat the harvest right into the ground and said, you you can lose it when the harvest is ripe. Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. They're white. They're ripe. All ready to harvest. And Brother Don said he started to drive off and said God spoke to him and said, the thunderheads of tribulation are rolling up on the horizon. I'm about to gather my church in. It's time to get the harvest. It's time to get it. I remember when I was a boy and I went to church at 5640 East 38th Street in Indianapolis, Indiana. Abundant Life Memorial Church. T.L. Vivert was the pastor. He was shot down over Korea and he, he survived that and God called him to the ministry and T.L. had a vision of gathering, uh, trying to reach the world. He had a mission-minded man. He had back in the day when there were no large Pentecostal churches, he had a church of 2,500 at 5640 East 38th Street in Indianapolis, Indiana. And he would do uh, all the time, had, had missions, drives going on. And I remember they used to have this big clear globe with the nations of the world imprinted on it and when he was doing a mission fundraiser he'd pour wheat into that globe and as they got closer to their goal he'd fill that globe with wheat and he would always say I want you to know that the harvest is plentiful the world is our field and God's called us to reach them all from right here from right here man with a vision can you say amen so we're to be, not only does God use common people, but we'll have to be courageous. We'll have to be cautious. And then can I say this, and I'm going to close. We need to be confident people. How confident are you in what you're doing for God? Can I help you with that tonight? You see, I am confident that God could take a little old boy out of the dirt on Duncannon Lane playing under the tree with a 10-cent dime store tractor. 
I used to sit under the trees as a little boy and play with them little old rubber 10-cent tractors till the wheels would fall off of them. And I had really not much expectancy in my life. I've been told you'll never amount to nothing. Anybody ever heard that before? And I never thought then, but I'm extremely confident now that God, well, I know from my past that God saved me, sanctified me, baptized me in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Then he called me to preach. And then he called me and said to me, you're going to be a pastor. He gave me prophetic words. I had men that never knew me. I walked into a little church one night over in a little place called Waynesburg to hear a man that I wanted to hear preach. And there's another little old skinny fellow standing over there. He just kept staring at me. He stared at me so much he made me uncomfortable. I was new in this. I didn't know what he was staring at. But every time I look around, there he was. Glaring at me. And I was getting, I was fidgeting around. I'd, I'd turn around, I'd look at Gail, you know, and I'd look around directly. I'd look back and there he was. He was locked in. You know, he was zoned in on me. And I didn't know the guy. And the preacher comes to the pulpit and he's getting ready to preach. And he looks at me and he says, sir, sir. And me, he said, yeah, you. He said, I don't know you. But he said, that man. He said, that's a praying man. That's a fasting man. He was little and skinny because he hardly ever ate. He stayed in the presence of God. And he said, don't fear that man. He has a word from the Lord for you. Woo! Glory to God. I'm just starting to preach. I'm trying to get my direction where I'm going to go. And directly this guy stands up. He said, yay, this is the word of the Lord to you. Pointed me. And he began to tell me about this church, this place, this this ministry I want to tell you you can have some confidence confidence you see the thing that will make you successful is a, as a soul winner oh let me, let me, let me. you got to be confident I heard an advertisement on the radio the other day. I flipped over to the Fox News channel on my XM radio. I wanted to hear, try to hear some news. And, and I was driving along, and all of a sudden they, they did this commercial. And it was a commercial trying to sell books on salesmanship to businesses that had people that sold stuff. And then they said that 90% of all salesmen have never had any training and never really had any teaching or any literature on how to be a good salesman. And how many knows if you're not confident, you cannot make it as a salesman? I mean, you say, in any business, if, you're not, if you don't think you got the best hairbrush, you won't sell any. Amen. Or the best vacuum cleaner. Jesus, everybody down the road's got the best vacuum cleaner. I've had them all. They've all come to my door back in the day when they used to sell vacuum cleaners for a living. I mean, you know, here, here, here'd come the Kirby man, and here'd come the Electrolux man, and then here'd come the, the one that had the water in it. What was that? The rain, y'all know about them too, don't you? They, and every one of them had the best vacuum cleaner. You, they were confident that they uh, when I was a boy living in Indianapolis, there was a guy that come to the house one night and he sold encyclopedias and, and, and stuff. And, and he, he had some weird mannerisms. And I'm watching this guy, you know, he's going through all these little gestures and stuff. But he convinced my dad and my stepmother that those encyclopedias was going to make a brain surgeon out of me. And they bought them. Well, they, he took them. 
Because I ain't no brain surgeon. Are you with me? But you've got to be confident. And, and, and the, the thing that, that, that you need to know is this. That our confidence, listen, the, the, the devil hopes, I always say, the devil hopes that we never understand who we really are in Jesus. My confidence is not in me, not in my past, not in my heritage, not in who I am. My confidence is in the fact that I've been blood washed, I've been born again, and the power of God is in my life. My confidence is in my product. I've got the only message. Not just a good message, the best message. I've got the only name. Not just a a good name, but the only name under heaven whereby men must be saved. I'm presenting God's eternal plan of redemption. Hallelujah. And I've got billions of satisfied customers on the other side. Woo! Glory! Are you hearing me? We've got a reputation that we can be confident in what we're selling. So you can make a difference. Look at somebody and say, you can. Listen. Gideon had, a man came to him and said, I had a dream. And he said, well, what was it? He said, well, I dreamed it. The Midianites were in the field and they were spread out like grasshoppers. And there were those million of them. He said there were some Midianite men in their tent. And he said, a loaf of barley bread. And what you got to understand, I, I researched this a little bit. The Midianites wouldn't eat barley bread. They's like me, they like light bread with blown in, miracle whip, and a big mater. <laughs> Hallelujah. I might skip the Mexican. <laughs> the point that I'm making was the Jews were kosher. They wouldn't eat pork. They, would, they wouldn't eat barley bread. Uh, the, I mean, they, they wouldn't eat the white bread. They ate the barley. You understand? It, it had to be, it, 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 it couldn't have any, uh, any yeast in it, it, it you know, any leaven. And, and so he said that they were sitting down in their tent, and they, they were the leaders, and they're making the plans. And he said, all of a sudden, a loaf of barley bread rolled down off of the hill and smote the tent and destroyed everybody in it. And uh, this was one of the Midianites had this dream, and he was telling the others, and, and the, the people were listening. And he said, one of them spoke up and said, this is nothing but the sword of the Lord in Gideon. And fear began to grip their hearts. And they went back and told Gideon. All of a sudden, a man now that's facing an army of tens of thousands and all he's got is 300 and he's going to take a picture with a little torch in it and some trumpets and all of a sudden he's going to stand up and do something that's impossible. I want to tell you, if what you're doing is possible for you to do in the flesh, God probably ain't in it. But if God calls you to step out and do something that's impossible, you can be confident it'll get done. Hallelujah. Woo, glory. Look at somebody and say, you got to trust God. So, you might just be a piece of barley bread. But tell your neighbor in God's hand, you're a lethal weapon. You can cause the devil some agony. Praise God. Listen, folk. I'm trying to land this plane and close. We must not. Are you ready? 
we must not have a secondhand religion. If all I'm doing is living on what somebody else did and what somebody else has done, you know, early on in my ministry, I learned I didn't try to, need to try to be Jimmy Swaggart. I didn't need to try to be Oral Roberts. I didn't need to try to be uh, R.A. West. Or, y'all even remember R.A. West? He was a tent preacher back in the early days, my early days. Old fella got killed on a motorcycle. But you, I, I didn't need to try to be anybody else. I, I didn't need a secondhand experience. I'd, I'd go to preach and try to preach like somebody else. I couldn't do that. One day I realized I had to pray through. I had to get my own message. I had to hear from God. I had to pray the anointing down on me. I had, to, I had to get along with God and walk into the battlefield ready to, you know, to slay the enemy hip and thigh, praise God. I had to be ready, if, if God would allow me to, to jerk that jawbone out of that donkey and start killing the enemy. I had to be confident. Hallelujah. I, I, I come out of church one night, a long time ago, when a man got mad at me, a big old fella, and another church wasn't here. Another church, I was just starting out, and he, he thought I'd said something I didn't say and did something I didn't do. And he got all out of shape and out of sorts. He is fleshly and carnal and big. He come around the other side of my car. I stand there talking to somebody. And he hauled off and throwed his Bible at me. And it bounced off the hood of the car and hit me right in the chest. And I caught it. Just laid it down the hood of the car. And here he come. Like a raging bull right around the, right around the car. And I thought, Lord, somebody's going to get whooped. And it ain't looking good for Owen. <laughs> my whole life flashed before my face. <laughs> I'm playing. <laughs> he is coming at me. Tommy, he meant business. And I'm just standing there. I just got done preaching. I'm still about half wet from the anointing. My shirt's sweaty. I'm, I'm still standing there under the power. He come running at me. He's aiming to grab me. He, he got within about five feet of me. And it's like he ran into a, into a, a wall or something. He just stopped. He, something just stopped him dead in his tracks. And he, he backed up and he looked at me like about half crazed, you know. And I just stood there. I'm feeling pretty good. I realize there's somebody behind me. Glory! Are you hearing me? You've got to be confident. If God be for you, who can be against you? If you're serving the Lord, no weapon formed against you can prosper. Greater is he that's in you. Woo! Glory! Confident. I'm confident. Hallelujah. Christians get scared too easy. Because some of them are living on a secondhand experience. Paul, Acts 19 11, as Nick comes to the music, said this. The Bible said, God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought to the sick handkerchiefs and aprons and diseases departed from. He sent prayer cloths and handkerchiefs and evil spirits got drove out. Listen to this. The Bible said, then certain of the vagabond Jews. 
These people didn't have it. Tell somebody they didn't have it. They were exorcists. They were caught up in ritual. And uh, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits. And they said it like this. In the name of Jesus, the Lord Jesus, say, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out. And there were seven sons of a man named Siva, a Jew, and, and the chief of the priests which did so. So these seven boys said, boys, sort of like Simon the sorcerer, this thing works, let's try it around. So these seven young men, Tommy, went and found them a little demon-possessed fella. And they said, we're going to cast the devils out. So they started trying to cast the devils out. Y'all know what happened? The demon manifested. And the demon manifested in the one they was trying to cast it out of. And the scripture said, a man in whom the evil spirit was, Acts 19 and 16, leaped on them, on all seven of them, overcame them, prevailed against them, so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. In other words, he whooped them, ripped their clothes off, shamed them, and run them off. That's what secondhand religion will do for you. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? Glory. Bible said this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. Fear fell on all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Do you know why? Because they said, boys, this Paul guy, can I say it? This Barnabas character, this Silas character, these, these guys have got something that's real. Better not mess with them. They can cast out devils. These signs will follow them that believe in my name. They'll speak in tongues. They'll lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. They'll cast out devils. They drink poison. It won't hurt them. They'll pick up snakes. And I mess with them. This guy's got something. It's a real deal. Can you say, man? And it comes from Understand that even though you may be common, if you'll be courageous, if you'll be confident, can you say amen? If you'll be cautious, if you'll make full proof of your ministry, if you'll walk upright before God, if you'll seek the face of the Lord, even the devils will know who you are. Let me understand that the devils know who you are. You see, one of the commentators I read said, our names need to be known in hell's camp. Just as Gideon's was known in the Medeans camp. I wonder if, if a devil knows who we are. I think he does. You know, sometime years ago, one time years ago, I there's a lady that was coming to church here she had a husband I thought he was kind of weird I didn't know much about him he was just strange he would never go to church he was odd he was just something about him I, I guess it was discernment I just discerned there was something wrong with this guy he had a spell and ended up in the hospital got sick and uh, they called me and said well, you go by the hospital and see him and, and I'm going to be honest with you I hadn't prayed much that day I prayed some the little prayer started my day off. I was real busy and I, and I really didn't take time that morning to see God like I like to. Get the word. 
be alone with God. And I was out running around doing stuff. I had the anointing. I had God. I had the Holy Ghost. Called, anointed, and appointed. I walked in the hospital room and visited this fella. While I'm talking to him, his eyes rolled back in his head. And all I could see was the whites of his eyes. He started making sounds. second there's an old spirit of fear kind of woo, you know. and then I stopped I said wait a minute I said you stinking lousy devil I rebuke you in the name of Jesus and it, you know when, when there's, there's a phenomenon called hiding when demons are, are confronted and their eye, people's eyes roll back in their head they're hiding they don't want you to confront them and I said you lose him and instantly his eyes cleared up and he looked at me. He had no idea what had happened. Didn't know a thing. What are you saying? I'm telling you that there's real demonic forces in this world. There's real demons that are controlling people. Some people think everything's a demon. It's not. It's, woman come to me one time and said she wanted me to pray for her kids said he need the devil cast out of him I said honey he just needs a good whipping some correction I'll leave that alone I'll let you pray about that one amen the enemy needs to know who we are Paul and Silas locked up in jail beaten God sends an earthquake Philippian jailer runs in and says, What must I do to be saved? Paul said, Believe on the name of Jesus. There's something, there's power in a name that the enemy recognizes. You and I have got to know that we can make a difference as long as we're standing in Jesus. You've got a message that has been proven. You understand me? How many of y'all know that this message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has outlasted armies and kings and empires and tyrants and Hitlers and Hamans and Herods? This message, y'all hearing me? This message that we carry has took the best that hell could throw at it and it's still getting people saved around the world. I'm confident in the gospel. Are you? I'm confident in my salvation. Are you? I'm confident in my experience with God, this Holy Ghost baptism. Are you? I've got courage and caution. I'm a common man. God's allowed me to do uncommon things. I'm an ordinary man that God's took me to extraordinary places. And so are you. Stand with me all over the church. And said our We hope you enjoyed today's message and we'll tune in again next time. Raising the Standard is the media ministry of the Richmond House of Prayer in Richmond, Kentucky. For more information on the various outreaches and ministries of the Richmond House of Prayer, 
please visit our website at www.rhop.life. Thanks for listening.